Hello, people of the void. You're listening to Fairy Tale, Folklore, and Fuckery. Each week, I will be choosing a random country in the world and talking about a fairy tale, folklore, or a fucked up story I found on this country. This week, we'll be delving into the country of Turkey. So, this is super exciting because obviously, I barely know anything about Turkey. Um, Except for the fact that they're in the Mediterranean Sea. We mentioned in the first episode, um, when I was doing Cyprus, that it was bordering Turkey and Lebanon. So it's kind of interesting that the random country generator decided to give me Turkey this week. uh, Just because we've already somewhat started talking about it. So obviously we have to go through the fun facts and everything that I barely know about it. Turkey is actually located in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and the Black Sea. So that's pretty cool to think about, that it's a landlocked country. So some interesting facts I learned about Turkey when I obviously started researching this was number one, that Santa Claus actually comes from Turkey. Apparently he was born in Turkish Patara, which is located in southern Turkey on its Mediterranean coast. As the story goes, Nicholas was born to very wealthy, very Christian parents, and he was born in Patara. Um, sad, sad moment, his parents died. But it's good for him because they left him a ton of money, which he gave away to the poor and needy. So how very thoughtful of that man. But apparently, legend has it that he would drop bags of gold coins down chimneys of houses and provide fruit to children. He also did this all throughout Europe, and everybody in Europe decided to start incorporating him into their myths and legends, which is super cool. Um, Another cool thing I learned about Turkey was that there's a lot more famous people that are known there than I would have previously expected. For example, the Virgin Mary apparently was buried near Ephesus, St. Paul was from Tarsus, and even the prophet Abraham was born in San Lefura. Noah landed on Mount Ararat which is all super cool things. But honestly, I think the most interesting part of all of, of reading all of those things was that Turkey is 99% Muslim. And so the fact that all of these very religious things um, from the Christian texts happened to occur in Turkey was actually pretty interesting to think about. But then again, it's like, I guess the Christian Jesus was born in the Mediterranean, so it makes sense, but it's ironic that Turkey's main religion is Muslim and not Christianity. But that was my fun little, my fun little thought of the day. But my second cool fact that I found was that apparently Turkish women could leave their husbands for coffee. Apparently, a hundred years ago, Turkish women had legal grounds to get a divorce if their husband couldn't provide them with something as essential as coffee, which honestly, I feel like we need to remake that a standard, not only in America, but across the world. Fact number three is that the national sport of Turkey is oil wrestling, which I did not even know what that is, but apparently it's also the oldest sport. Also. Every week, I usually shout out a nonprofit or something related to the country, and this week, I found two cool things that I'm going to shout out today. So, number one, I found a fun little fairy tale town. So, this little fairy tale town apparently is in the middle of God knows where, like, very deep in the woods. 
Um, but it has been used for a lot of different things, but it's currently being used uh, as a tourist place, which is pretty cool. But now they're deciding to remake it. The town is going to be used as a, it was just inherited by a whole new company. So they're trying to make it only available to really wealthy Arab tourists um, and not to everybody, which is very sad, but also it's kind of like a ghost town now because their entire site, there's just construction left over everywhere, which is really spooky. So my next little shout out goes to the Maisel collection. So I found this really cool article that's talking about how there is a huge academic project called Maisel that's collecting and indexing a goal of 10 thousand stories to preserve for future generations. So this project is going through all the oral stories and creating one giant database and it ranges from the Anatolian Plateau. Um, so it draws on Arabian Nights, Brothers Grimm, as well as Kurdish, Persian, Slavonic, Jewish, and Romanian influences. This project is funded by the Aturk Cultural Center, which is one of the first undertaking of its kind in Turkey, which is super cool. Um, they are trying to index seven regions of fairy tales, so animal, magical, extraordinary, realistic, and humorous. Um, and they're also trying to get all different variants of the stories. So remember how last week in Grenada I found for example, we were talking about the Lagahu. There were like five different types of stories because it was an oral story that has been passed down from generation, but also because it was being all around the West Africa and Caribbean places. So this is very similar to what they're trying to do. They're trying to gather as many oral stories uh, as they possibly can and record them and make sure that they're preserved. Um, I think the best quote from this website that I've read was from a lecture at Mogla Sintiki Kosman University, and he's one of the department's researchers. And he says that fairy tales teach us to wonder, to use reason, to be patient, to dream, to overcome obstacles, not to be intimidated, to struggle, to be good people, to fight against evil, to tell the truth, to detect lies and deceit, to resist and to listen. These values are universal human values. Times change, people don't. I really love that quote because it's really stating how all of these fairy tales are in this world for a reason and they are still here to teach a lesson regardless of how many times they can be passed down orally or not. So up next we have our very first fairy tale and this fairy tale is called The Forty Princes and the Seven-Headed Dragon. Now this tale is actually kind of long but it's super funny and interesting so I hope you're gonna enjoy this. So basically once upon a time there was a Padisha which is a Persian title um, for a sovereign. So like it really means like master king. But he had 40 sons and once the very last son turned 14, he told them, guys, I want you to get married. Uh, first off, 40 sons is too many, way too many to have. Second off, how in the world do they, this woman, this poor queen, only carry out 
40 sons. Like, I'm sure the chances of her having twins or of having girls was there. But apparently in the story, it's not even, it's not even existent. So the last one turned 14 and he was like, I need every single one of you to marry. And they said, we're so for that, except our only request is that we have to marry 40 sisters all having the same father and mother. So that's a really hard request because it sounds like you're the only people in this entire universe that have 40 sons. So I don't even understand how they can request, unless you're a part of like Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princesses, where you have 12 girls plus, like I don't, I could never, I don't understand how they could ask that. But regardless, that's what their only request was. So then the Padisha was like, okay, bet, we're going to try this. So they searched and searched, but all they could find was 39 girls. And of course, they refused to marry him. And their father was like, please, please, please. And they were like, no. So then they asked, can we travel to foreign countries to look for them? And he said, fine. But his request to them was that there are three things that you must bear well in mind. When you reach a large spring, do not spend the night anywhere near it. Farther on is a Han. Do not spend the night there either. Beyond the Han is a great plain. Do not linger there a moment. And of course, all 39 sons said, absolutely, Father, we will not be doing this. Well, 40 said that. And so they decided to mount their horses and go. And so they're, they're going, they're going, and then they reach the large spring. And the eldest is like, well, let's still rest. And the youngest is like, this is kind of not right. So I'm going to stay up. So remember, the youngest is 14. So he decided to keep watch. And of course, something was rustling at night in the midnight. And then what came out was insane because I thought this was like a little bush that was rustling. But no, apparently it was not. A seven-headed dragon decided to come out. And of course, both of them just saw each other and were like, damn, we got to fight. So they fought and three times the dragon wrestled him, but he still could not obtain any of it. Which is insane because it's like you're 14, you're probably like mm, five, seven, or a little taller or a little bit shorter. But like, there is no way you could wrestle a seven headed dragon and still somehow stay alive. But apparently, this kid did. And then the prince basically killed him. They struck the dragon, and then all six heads fell, which again, there's seven. So the dragon said, Please, please, please kill me and the youth was like no and then one of his heads decided to roll away until it reached a well and it said let him who has taken my life take also my treasure as it fell down the well which is like so it just kind of reminds me of like tim burton and alice in wonderland where like the rabbit and alice are just going down the underneath the tree in the well so that was kind of funny but the little 14 year old went it down the well Again, this is like all at night, by the way, so I don't even understand how he could see any of this. But at the bottom, he found an iron gate. And, you know, thinking nothing of it, because he's 14, he decides to just walk in and see a beautiful palace ahead of him. And there were 40 apartments. And in each apartment, there was a girl at a table. And there were tons of treasures piled around them. And of course, all these girls are like, what the hell is this? Who are you? And he was like, 
I'm a human being, I promise. And he told them and explained that he killed the seven-headed dragon. And they told him that there are 40 sisters and that that dragon had killed their parents. So they have no one else in this world. And then the prince was like, well, we have, I have 39 more brothers upstairs and they kind of want 40 girls. And then he went back up the well and got his brothers. And then he basically said, I'll come get you later. And then he goes back up the stairs and falls asleep. The next morning, everybody wakes up and then they keep going until they see the Han. Also, this Han is actually in Turkey means like an inn or a hostel or just a rest house. So they end up getting there and remember, the father was like, don't go there or like just stop, you know? The oldest prince said, we're just gonna stay the night. And then the youngest was like, can, can we actually not? Because there's been like a lot of stuff that's gone on and I really just don't feel comfortable. And they were like, no, we're gonna stay. So then the youngest stayed watch again. And again, for the second night in a row, he heard another noise. And then he found himself trying to defeat a larger seven-headed dragon, which is insane. So. As he fights him, he cuts off six of his seven heads, and then the monster's like, can you please just kill me fully? And he's like, no. And then another head rolls towards the well. And of course, the 14-year-old's like, this is dope, let me follow it. So he does. And then he finds more treasures and a larger palace. So then he's like, noted. And then he just goes back up the stairs and goes to sleep. And then the next morning, they wake him up again, and they're going, and they're going, and they go up a hill. Uh, remember, their father was like, just don't do that. So as they're on that hill, just like eating and drinking, waiting to go, they hear a huge shriek, and another seven-headed dragon came out, but this one was even worse. And he says, who killed my two brothers? And then he wants to kill the little rat that did it. And the youngest was like, I did, but you know, let me, give me a minute. And so he goes to his brothers and he was like, here are both the keys to the wells. Take the 40 maidens home and the treasure and he'll follow. He'll, and the brothers just were like, yeah, that's totally fine. So they're going to let their little 14 year old brother try to defeat another set of it dragon, which is insane. Of course, there's a little fight. There's a little tussle. And when the dragon realized he was going to get killed, he told the prince, if you go to the land of Chimachin and bring me the Padesh's daughter. I will spare your life. And the little 14 year old was like, oh, I'm too tired for this shit. And he said, fine. So he went all the way to Chimachin. Before he went to Hamachin, the dragon gave him a bridle and said, every day a magic horse, a gear, grazes here. Catch him, put this bridle on him, and command him to take you to the land of Chimachin. And so this little 14 year old boy finds the magic horse and throws the bridle on him and the horse says command me little sultan shut your eyes open your eyes and then he's right there in Chimachin which is really cool honestly I want a horse that just like asks me where to go and then we just go there without actually thinking about it so he goes there he finds the sultan's daughter while he's in Chimachin he meets this like really old lady and this old lady tells him that that seven-headed dragon has been in love with the sultan's daughter for years and there's been a huge war because of it and the sultan's obviously not going to give up his daughter so the dragon keeps fighting him 
The next day, the little prince goes to Badashin's garden and asks the gardener for the service. And then he, this is some, this is really some Aladdin shit because the gardener was like, aw, you're too young and this is a really weird request, so I'm just gonna let you do it anyway. So the gardener basically takes him to the Sultan's daughter and to the window. And then he calls up to her and tells everything that's been happening. And she goes, I'll do it because you're cute. And he says, awesome, my love for you is much greater than this dragon. And if you come with me, I can destroy him and you can be mine. And she was like, mm, you're cute, let's do it. So she goes with the prince all the way back to Champalik's plane. And they discuss how to discover the dragon's talisman. Basically, this talisman will destroy the dragon completely. The seven-headed monster, Champalik, was so overjoyed when he saw the Sultan's daughter. And he basically put her in a tower. And she's crying all the time. And he's just telling her how much he loves her. And then one day she, she asks him, If you at least tell me what your talisman is, perhaps my days would not be quite so wearisome. And the dragon was like, Ah, but babe, it's it's impossible to get. But I'll let you know what it is anyway. It's in a certain country where there's a large palace and whoever gets in never gets out again. And the prince is listening in. So then he calls his magic horse and then he puts, apparently it was in the sea, and he says, all he has to say is to the palace of the dragon's talisman. And then the horse got him there the little prince got the little talisman, and then they go back up. But to get this talisman, he had to go into a gate that is a lion's jaw. And if you cut it one time, you're safe. If you can't cut it one time, you'll be dead. And so the little prince went in there and struck the gaping jaw of the lion and got a cage containing three doves. And basically, when he cut open the jaw of the lion, there was a huge cage full of three doves. And one dove, they were all so beautiful, but one dove decided to escape. And as soon as it did, the horse flew after it, caught it, and killed it. The horse didn't explain why, he just killed it. And then they get back to the palace of Champalik, and where, where his maiden is. And the dragon as he goes in he kills the other two doves the prince is just holding them and the dragon goes can i like at least touch them before you like throw them away or something and the prince is like about to offer the birds up because he's kind of sad and he's 14 and he doesn't know any better at all so he was like oh maybe and then as soon as he does the sultan's daughter tore them up the dragon just died he just erupted into like black smoke and was gone. Horse decided to take it that moment to tell him that it was good that he didn't let him touch it because if he did he would have had a whole new life. So then the prince and the sultan's daughter took all of the treasures. They went to the land of Chimachin which is where the sultan's daughter was originally from. So of course her dad has just been dying because he's so worried about her and there had been so many searches but she couldn't found and then he was about to like he was on his deathbed basically like oh she died because of the dragon but as soon as they got there 
and she was safe and sound, he gave her her wish to marry the prince. And they did. And of course, as they went on their honeymoon, they went to his father's house. And his father was like, oh, I thought you died so long ago. And he was like, actually, no. And so he told everybody about his stories. And then the 39 brothers married the 39 sisters. And the 40th sister became the wife of Princess Chimachin's brother. So, if you're confused, the Sultan's daughter had a brother. And so the Sultan's daughter married the little 14-year-old prince. And then her brother married the 40th wife because the little prince obviously couldn't. And then they all lived happily ever after. Now, I genuinely reading this was like, okay, this seems cool. And then at the end, it kind of lost me, but I think I understand it now. Okay, I know what the moral of the story is. The moral of the story is listen to your parents because maybe they're not talking crazy and they have some idea of what's right and what's wrong. That's about it. If you don't, you'll end up dead or going through all the trials and tribulations that you could have just not gone through if you had listened to them in the first place. That was one hell of a story. But the next two stories I think are even funnier. Well, not funnier. They're just, I don't know, the theme of today is, <laughs> is all about princesses and moral dilemmas and death. So I hope you enjoy these next two stories. So the next story is all about the folktale. This is called The Myth of Analia Megara, or mirrored cave. Um, I don't think Megara means mirrored cave, I just think that's what they put in quotation marks on a website and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So that's why I decided to read this story. And it actually kind of is interesting. So it all starts with Emesia, who is a king's daughter and she is so beautiful, like psych beautiful from ancient Greece, that he said you have to cover your entire face and so he said that when it was time for her to marry that anybody who was able to lift her veil and withstand her beauty could marry her but not just because she's a beautiful face he wants everybody to realize that she's more than just beauty but that doesn't even make sense because he put a veil on her because she's so beautiful i don't understand how he expects anybody to see her as more than just a beautiful face if you purposely only advertise her as that but okay she became eligible to marry and everybody got the news in the kingdom everybody and so a lot of young men kept coming up and lifting the princess's veil but they were so overcome by her beauty that their hands shook and knees buckled um, so this continued for like days weeks even until there was a very poor but brave young man that wanted to try him's luck. And when he lifted the veil, it was literally kapow, basically. They were perfect for each other. They were so perfect, in fact, that there started a fire that surrounded them, and they just died. They died in the heat of their connection, apparently. And to this day, their bodies are buried in a cave outside of the town, and every time the sun shines on the rock facade on their tomb, the surface shines as bright as the princess's beautiful face. According to thecultureTrip.com. <laughs> but I think it's just 
quite hilarious because I've never heard a legend or a myth or folktale that talked about how their love set them to their death basically like that quick. You have Eurydice and Orpheus that are like in Greek mythology you know they go through all these trials and tribulations and then in the end Orpheus decides to turn around and lose her forever but in this Turkish myth or folk tale it literally just says that she ended up just dying because they looked at each other which like they didn't even go through any trials or tribulations the most that happened was he was poor and she was rich but like making their love the thing that kills them was kind of crazy but that was the myth of Anelia Megara and the mirrored cave and if you look on my Instagram you'll actually see some pictures from it which are very beautiful pictures I do believe that if you look at it you'll definitely see uh, the surface that shines as bright as the princess's beauty okay onwards to the fucked up story so this story actually isn't it's more it's more of a folktale like like usual I usually do like a folktale or like something that really sounds crazy to me so this one is, is called the legend of kiss Coolzy. it's about a maiden's tower so there's apparently a lot of stories associated with this tower but the one I'm gonna tell you today is about Seljuk Sultan and his beautiful daughter. One time, this Sultan had an awful nightmare that his only daughter died after being bit by a snake. So you know what he decided to do? Not like go out and kill all the snakes in the world. No, 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 no. He decided to play the witch in Rapunzel and just send her to her own tower to protect her life. I, it just sounds like an overreaction, to be honest. Like, you could probably catch a snake in your palace faster there, where there's a lot more security than if she was alone in her tower for years upon years. But I digress. So anyway, she lived there for years, and apparently she had this awful illness. So a lot of people sent her a lot of different gifts, which is very sweet of the kingdom. Except, except, of course you have enemies, obviously. So this is what I'm saying. She should have just been living in the palace the whole time. But anyways, someone sent her a little basket of grapes. And very sadly, unbeknownst to the woman that took it to the tower, there was a small snake that was buried deep within the sweet fruits. When the daughter was sleeping, the snake slithered out, and like her father's nightmare, the princess died of a snake bite. Which is just so sad. But also... I don't know, I feel like you deserve it at that point, because you sent her away, so like, child neglect, and then you also didn't actually protect her, you probably gave her a lot of fucked up mental illnesses because of that one. She definitely gained some sort of grudge because you sent her away. And imagine if she had siblings, oh my god, I would have been livid. But those are the three stories for this week. I hope you guys are enjoying this podcast as much as I am. I am loving finding different stories every week. Tune in next week for more fairy tale, folklore, and fuckery.